Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, where we bring you boots on the ground perspectives from construction business owners and industry experts about their successes, challenges, and whatever else is on their minds. Consider them your own personal mentors on technology implementation, equipment solutions, business management, and more, enabling you to apply their expertise to your business. Held every three years in Las Vegas, ConExpo ConAg is North America's largest construction trade show. For even more ways to connect with the industry, visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect. We've got another great guest on the show today, so let's dig in. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Contractor Conversations on ConExpo ConAg Radio. I'm your host, Missy Sherber, and friends, I'm so excited to introduce you today uh, to Herb Sargent, the president and CEO of Sargent Corporation, an infrastructure construction firm based in Stillwater, Maine. Founded by his grandfather, Herb E. Sargent, in 1926 with a used dump truck and a strong work ethic as his assets, the company now has hundreds of employee owners working in New England and the mid-Atlantic regions. Today, we'll be discussing workforce development, the advantages of employee staff ownership plans, and the importance of investing in the well-being and prosperity of your people. Well, Herb, thank you so much for joining us today. We're very, very excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Missy. Yeah. So for those who don't know you in your almost 100-year, company's 100-year history in the industry, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family's history in the industry and how that led to your role as president and CEO of Sargent Corporation today? Well, it's hard to squeeze 100 years into a minute, but I'll do my hey. best. <laughs> we, we had Aaron Witt do it in three and a half minutes. So my grandfather started the company in 1926 as a 20-year-old. And it was, you know, some of the same old story that you hear of, you know, young guy buys a dump truck and starts from there. Um, he began to take state highway contracts in the 30s and, and went on to build a lot of airports in Maine and interstate in Maine eventually. And in the 70s, my dad took over. My dad, my uncle, took the company over. And then in the late 1980s, the company was sold to a to a company from Paris, France, a contractor from Paris, France. I stayed on for about three years after that. And then I left and started my own business uh, with my brother, which was called Sergeant and Sergeant. And then about 12 years later, a number of different ownership transitions had taken place with my grandfather's company. And uh, the now owners of the company wanted to divest of it. So we had an opportunity to buy it back in 2005. And we did. And uh, my grandfather at that time was 99 years old. Wow. Wow. That's quite a history there. And, and later on the show, we will talk about that transition because, you know, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is go behind the filtered photos and talk about some of the ups and downs of being in business. And I know that transition, you know, was some ups and downs for you. So we'll talk about sure. that a little later on. But once you reacquired the company in 2005, um, what's been the primary focus of Sergeant Corporation? Uh, in the last 15 years? Uh, well, the first five was survival because uh, <laughs> the, my company, Sergeant and Sergeant, was about 20% uh, the size of the company we bought. So we had to leverage up financially pretty, pretty steep to make that happen. So it really, we had to, you know, we really had to focus on survival and cash flow and, and profit and getting work and that sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, the Great Recession came. And it was kind of more survival, but in a different way. 
uh, we had gotten to the point where we weren't so leveraged financially. So we had some room to some wiggle room. And then it's kind of three phases. Then the last five years, it's really been about uh, developing people, developing the workforce, because in the middle of five years, we were kind of like a, a football team that stayed away from the draft. We just didn't draft a lot of players. And that, that began to show, uh, show up for us in, let's say, 2015, 16, uh, really wow. inhibited our growth. Wow. So you, you, were in, you're, you actually have had that experience of workforce development and you felt the chest pain of, wow, we haven't been drafting more players right. yeah. and we can't grow without that. That is so interesting. And I'm excited to talk more about your experience there. Tell me quick though, because my business owner ears perk up when you talk about the survival years. And I know many business owners will say, what are some top tips you can, you can give when you're in those survival modes and you're, you're trying to not be so over leveraged and catch up and, and move forward. What are some, some tips you've got for the business owners out there when they're in those years? Well, I think it was important for me to be, uh, to be, pretty transparent with our people and let them know that, hey, you know, this is a really leveraged deal. And if things don't go well, we're kind of all going to be out of work, including me, you know, so there's no guarantees here for anybody. And so it's important, I think, for me to be transparent about that and make it clear and communicate the situation we were in, which wasn't a bad situation. It was just, it was a little more tenuous than, than most. Uh, yeah. to, to go borrow the money to buy a company that's five times your size is puts you in a in a risky position. So it was important for me to com- communicate that and communicate our commitment to the people. And in one of the quickest ways, and, and you know that you can do this, is buy them really cool equipment, right? <laughs> and have them get some nice stuff that they can get into. And they're their equipment fleet had had been eroded over the previous five or 10 years. So we moved in and we, we couldn't buy a lot of equipment because all of our, all of our borrowing power was already used up in buying the company. So, so we went into a, a huge equipment rental uh, situation that we eventually turned into ownership after a few years, but it was really, uh, it was really communicating and getting the people uh, showing them that we had a path forward and if we all just work together, we'd make it. Wow. So you, you're kind of, what I hear you saying is the transparency and communication, just being really upfront, which is vulnerability, you know, being vulnerable yeah. to your team. When we bought the company, our first meeting, we said, uh, you know, I put the financial statement up on the wall for the superintendents and everybody to see. And I said, if this, or I guess the business plan, it wasn't the actual uh, financial statement, but what we thought we were going to do. And I said, if we do this, we'll make X dollars. And then X times 0.5 goes to taxes and the rest of it, X times 0.4 goes to equipment and X times 0.1 we'll share with you. And wow. so, so really, and then when we did get the first year financials, we put that up on the wall and, and showed what we did. So uh, it really, uh, really helped with the buy-in. I, I imagine that not just the transparency and communication, but rewarding and saying, if you are in it to win it with us, you know, there's some incentive at the end. What an awesome way to involve your people, which kind of gets us to talking about that's one of your core values. And if I remember hearing on, on one of your videos correctly, 
Um, is that your number one core value? Is it's first one of four, and it's it's not first by mistake. Now, tell me a little more about that. What strides have you taken to ensure kind of your workforce pipeline is full and your employees are well trained? Being that that is your core value is investing in people. Well, we're we're doing more and more all the time. But as as I told you, you know, that middle five years we were kind of stayed away from the draft and. And when in 2015 or so, I, I kind of had this aha moment, like, holy wow, I think there's going to be some growth coming and we've got to get some people in here to do this. So, yeah. so I reasoned that we didn't need to hire 100 people. We needed, to, we needed to go chisel some really good bodies out of the countryside over the next 5 to 10, 15 years and begin to build our workforce back up because we had a big gap in ages. So we got together and we started what we call Sergeant Construction Academy. And that was for immediate high school grads. And what at the time, what that was, is we brought them in, they were paid on the first day. Uh, we had six weeks of training with our folks. And then after that, we asked them to commit for six months in the field with us. So that training included everything from, you know, light blueprint reading to to small equipment, light, heavy equipment operation, uh, some introduction to layout, introduction to personal finance, introduction to 401ks and retirement. It was really all encompassing. What we were trying to do is, is not, wow. just make, not just make good uh, construction workers out of them, but make them self-sufficient and, and good humans going forward. I think that's phenomenal that you took the approach of not just the equipment and the on-site, you know, needs that you have yeah. from them, but I imagine it creates a less turnover, a, a more loyal, you know, if you're helping them as a person, you know, you're helping the human aspect of, of people is so important in construction. Well, it really is. And, and I, you know, I, the way I look at it is if we just bring value to, to each other every day, we, we work long days, you know, that we work, you know, there's long days, mm -hmm. long, long weeks, sometimes six, seven days a week. But if, if we get in the habit of bringing value to each other during the day, uh, I believe that transfers easier to bring in value to your family when you're home at night or in the weekend. Yeah. And, and to me, we, we talk so much about work-life balance. Um, and one way of looking at it is, is, well, I work 10 hours at work. Now I need 10 hours of balance, you know, to balance that off. But I think if we can just look at it, if we, if we can make that a more qualitative look at that off time, with your family and we can increase mm -hmm. the quality of that. I think it, it balances much better. Absolutely. And, you know, if their quality time is with you, you know, the time they're with you, those 10 hours are, they're valued as a person. I imagine that significantly impacts those five, six hours at home with family. Yeah. And, and, you know, when people go home, we, we have an internal podcast and we were recording with uh, one of our, construction academy grads yesterday and uh, he said you know look i just at the end of the day i'm smiling it doesn't matter what i did today i'm smiling and i'm just happy to be doing what i'm doing and you know when you go home and you're happy because you're glad who you're working with and what you do for a living it just makes it a lot easier to be a, a good family member too what a huge point of success for you as a leader and for sergeant as a company that someone's saying at the end of the day i'm happy um, that's very, that's a new era of construction that we're having to move towards for workforce development. What inspired you to do that? Did you grow up that way or did you recognize that was a need? Like, tell me about that transition because that's a, that's a new way of construction. 
so I grew up around my grandfather a lot and my dad too, obviously. And, and I just, uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to have an, an inordinate amount of uh, mentors in my life. And, yeah. you know, I, when I think about all the people that didn't really have anybody uh, impart any good mentoring to them, and then I think about how much, how many people I had, it's, I feel almost guilty about it, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to pay it forward. And, and just those people that I dealt with for so many years, made it fun for me and uh, working out on the road and, you know, usually staying in motel rooms or uh, we just got to know each other, good camaraderie. And, and that's just kind of got worked into me in my early career. I guess it kind of comes naturally to me. I, I, I want, I mean, I've always said when I'm at work, I want to have fun at work, even though so many times, you know, you don't accomplish what you want to during a day or three things go backwards and four things go forward. That's just the way this business is because there's so many, so many inputs to what we do that that kind of lay our efforts to waste sometimes. But to, yeah. to know that you can get up tomorrow and, and make another stab at it uh, is, is just where we've always come from. And, and we've yeah. always just had a great time at work. Which is so another great concept to bring into construction because it's such a serious line of work. I think there's just such a seriousness to what we do, especially in infrastructure, heavy civil. And that might be a turnoff, you know, for some people like, wow, how, where do I fit into this? But to bring that fun aspect of we love the passion, the emotion of fun, like that's an emotion, you know, that you're not yeah. supposed to show on a job site in the old, old days, right? I think it's important to, to be careful not to have so much fun that it, that it looks right. like you don't take things seriously. So, you yeah. know, we, we know when we can have fun, we know when we got to be serious and, and, uh, yeah. you know, certain owners, certain, you know, customers we work with, you know, they just, they just want the work done and that's all. And let's yeah. you guys go have fun after work, but we, we try to enjoy ourselves quietly anyways. I, I love that you're working on finding that balance. So tell me this, what advice would you give to other business owners when it comes to investing in and developing training programs for your employees? And maybe with a business owner like, like us, so we are small to mid, we're, we're growing quickly and we have not invested into really developing our people. We see the need for it now, but I definitely have had moments where I'm like, where do you start? You know, where do you start? What's, what's the important path? So it doesn't have to be expensive. And we're having, we're, right now we're having a debate in our company, uh, in a, a very productive debate on different training levels that we want to do and, and a facility to do those things. But it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, for what we have right now, we've, we've literally converted our basement in one of our buildings and, and finished that basement off. And we have week-long trainings for, for let's say, what we call junior foreman. So, you know, it, it's really just being observant about what kind of skills these folks need to have developed. And mm -hmm. what I try to do is the way we're trying to go with this is, is we're trying to, we're trying to develop them for the next level beyond where they're going next. So we're trying to develop them for two levels ahead. And so that when that opportunity comes for them to move, they're, they're somewhat prepared for that. But it's really just trying to be observant about what, what kind of skills they need to be honing. And like I said, it doesn't have to be expensive. It's with us, 
we took uh, one of our really, really good operations managers and I asked him to be the workforce advancement director. And so he's been working alone for the most part for five years with this academy. And then he goes out when we don't have the academy and he works with these guys and he's, he's, he and I started in the business together. So he's, uh, I guess you call us seasoned and, uh, yeah. you know, but he's got great skills and great teaching ability. So it's, it's really just being intentional about development rather than, yeah. rather than hope it happens. Right. So when you're intentional with it, do you guys have conversations with um, the high school grads that are coming into these programs on where they want to be? Like, what does that look like introducing the idea to them of not just being in the training program, but committing to your company? I think that'd be important. You know, yeah. Um, so we do tell them, you know, when you get done with this academy, you will be a laborer. That's because we believe that that's the way you have to learn this business. That's the way I learned this yeah. business. And so they come out as laborers and, but they're, they're much better prepared for opportunities that come along, whether it, so a lot of our guys end up going kind of the junior foreman route. Some of them go with the equipment route. Some of them are truck drivers. And so we're trying to populate the whole company with, with this group, this kind of youth movement. And yeah, uh, so it's worked pretty well. I think that's awesome. So, you know, being all about your team and your staff, let's transition and talk a little bit about ESOP because, you know, part of your succession planning for Sergeant Corp was transitioning your business from you being the sole owner to an employee owned stock program. Why did you decide to go that route? Well, there's basically four ways when you, when you boil them all down to transition ownership of a company. You can do an outright sale, and that had been done before with our company, and it didn't really work that well. You can do an internal sale to managers. So if there's three or four or five managers, you could do that. However, construction, especially if you have to have any kind of surety credit, any bonding credit, uh, you have to have very good capital structure in order to get bonded. And usually managers in the company don't have that kind of capital to support right. a bonding program the size of our company requires. Another one is just to cease all activities and have an auction. And that doesn't really help anybody. You don't get the value you want out of the company mm -hmm. and, and you have a lot of unhappy former employees. And then the, the ESOP is one that we saw really delivered all the attributes that we wanted. It could inspire and motivate the employees. Uh, we have con continuity and succession and it allowed me to stay in management. So our ESOP seven years old. I was 50 when we put it in place. So it allowed me to stay in management and keep managing the company the same way I had. It's very meaningful benefits to the, to the employees. Uh, ESOPs don't pay federal taxes. And in most places, mm -hmm. they don't pay state taxes. So all the money you used to pay for taxes stays in the company. It eventually funds the buyout of the shares from the owner, me. And, and then also funds the buyout from the employees when they retire. Uh, so for us, we felt like it was ESOP was the best way to preserve our culture and, and provide a real stable footprint going forward and, and give yeah. people a reason to really want to work and improve. Well, to me, it shows a true commitment to what your first core value is, which is investing in yeah. your people. 
which it's just you're committed to that path, which is incredible. What were the staff like? I mean, I'm sure you had, you know, staff that had been with you a long time. Like, tell me about the feeling and, and potentially, I'm sure, the excitement um, when you made that transition. Yeah, we, we set up a, a meeting for the whole company and, and we had three breakout sessions and our CFO kind of explained the financial piece and I explained, you know, why we did it, uh, you know, why it was the, t- the right time and, and what it was. And we also had another ESOP who, who I'm friends with in Missouri and they sent some employees over so they could do a panel discussion with those folks. And they'd been an ESOP, I think, for 15 years. So uh, I wanted them to be able to talk to real people, you know, operators, foremen, laborers, truck drivers that had been in an ESOP for some time. The one thing we were very, very clear with, with them was this is not a gift. Herb is selling the company to this group. And so the value, your value in the company at the end of this year, if everything goes pers- perfectly, will be $147. And I, I distinctly remember watching one of our truck driver's wives like drop her head on the table, like I wasted a Saturday <laughs> for this. And so, you know, but it, it's like the same if you if you had a million dollar apartment building and you had a few employees that, that kept that apartment building up and you sold it to them for a million dollars, there's no, there's no equity there, right? right? So either they can improve the apartment building and, and gain value that way, or they, you know, they can raise rents and gain value that way. And as they pay off the apartment building, pay you off for it, then they begin to build equity. So it's really the same yeah. thing. Uh, just, in the context of 35 projects going on at one time instead of one apartment building. Yeah. So they, you gave them the understanding. It's still something to work for, but I watched your video that uh, build wit media group did for your company. I just thought it was outstanding. I actually watched it twice and to see your staff members pride uh, in the company. And I think one of them even said something to the likes of when I see those trucks drive by, it's like my name's on it. And it's like, wow, you know, to have your field team really truly understand and believe that. I mean, the work has to just, the performance had to have just completely improved, you well, know, when they feel that sense of ownership. It takes a while for for that sense of ownership to show up because really their value starts at zero. Yeah. They can't put any I mean, money in. for all of us. <laughs> right. The, the, the value starts, right. And then they have to, over the years, they, they accumulate shares and the, and the stock price hopefully goes up and ours has, but the first two or three years is really hard to get much energy around, Hey, you own this. So the, the stock price is up to $6 a share now from $1. And so yeah. now your now your uh, ESOP account is worth $460, you know, after, yeah. after so many years, but now uh, after seven years now, it's, it's at the point where, you know, we have people approaching six-figure values in their ESOP shares. So really wow. excited about it. And the, the young people are the ones, you know, that are going to really, really benefit from this. It's, it's really excited yeah. about how it's going. I, I'm so pleased that we did it when we did it and, yeah. and for the reasons we did it. That's awesome. So what advice would you give to other business owners, you know, on how we have these crucial conversations about, succession planning and when should that start is is that now is that you know when we're 50 like tell us kind of your thoughts on succession planning because you've done such a phenomenal job at at working that out 
Well, I've been lucky too. So, I mean, there's been a lot of work that's gone into it, but I have been lucky. I, I would say, I think for contractor entrepreneurs, we find it difficult to think about succession. And I think part of the reason is so much of what we do is built with inanimate stuff like pipe and gravel and dirt and excavators and bulldozers, right? And so, yeah. so the human element is is only just a small picture of the small piece of that picture. But when you start talking about succession, it's like all human element. And the amplitude of the variation that you can get can be so much greater uh, when we're starting. And I frankly wasn't prepared to, to deal with that mentally. Uh, so it, it took me breaking the thing in, in half. It took me to say, okay, we'll change the ownership of the company. We'll go to ESOP now and we'll get the ownership changed. And then I'll deal with the, the management succession later on, you know, when I retire, who's going to take over. So simplifying it to some degree is, is mm -hmm. a big key. Um, what to me, what it really boils down to, if you don't have somebody that can take over for you, that that's really the problem. That's when, yeah. that's when people say, okay, we, we got to sell or we got to do something different. So mm -hmm. what it, what it always, to me, it always ends up boiling back down to developing people. And when you develop people, uh, the ones that you can see maybe have the uh, have the gas in their tank to be more of a business leader, that's when you need to introduce them to the idea of balance sheets and P&Ls and in the financials and what drives the financials and surety credit and bank credit and all these things. So they begin to understand a little bit more what's in the business because so many people don't, you know, they don't. Yeah. You don't realize that you wake up in the middle of the night, at, you know, two o'clock and go, oh, yeah, <laughs> payroll. <laughs> it's tomorrow at noon. Yeah. <laughs> we'll so, be so okay. That's what I, I think we're just just need to focus on development. The more you push people from the bottom, the better they uh, you can see what they can do from the top. Absolutely. So I really like the parallel that you're not just developing leaders out in the field but that you're also developing leaders, you know, in management. And I'm a little curious about that a little more. When you see a good manager and you're like, wow, they definitely have the potential uh, to be a great business leader within this company. What are typically the first steps? What does that look like for you? And, and I'm asking a little bit selfishly because we're in that position right now where we are being mentored by a large excavation company here in the Twin Cities. And, and one of the first things he said is, who's your right hand? Who's, who's your next person? And we struggled with that a little bit. Like, gosh, we have not thought about that. We've just been so inundated, as no, you said, it's... with the product and the people and the pushing through. What advice would you give to owners who are in our position with those managers? How do you find them? How do you train them? What do you look for in a good manager that you can truly trust to build a bigger company? I guess I, guess I would look for people that, that have the ability to, uh, to take difficult situations and, and render them into, into bite-sized pieces and, yeah. and, and move ahead with it. So some people can do that, but they can't move ahead with one of them. And some people can't do it at all. And and some people can say, okay, we we can take this problem, break it into three yeah. pieces, and move one ahead at a time, and and begin. I think in this business, a lot of times we we think our plan has to be perfect, 
And so that immobilizes us. And I, I think we really need to just go like, okay, we got a, a decent plan because the decent plan, as long as people are bought in and, and they want uh, the same thing you do, which is success, a decent plan yeah. can work better than the perfect plan sitting on a shelf. So I'd, I'd look wow. for somebody that can break it down like that and, and move pieces along and get buy-in from people and, you know, mm -hmm. delegate the things that need to get delegated. If you've got somebody that, that can't let go, that's not the right person. You've got to have somebody okay. that can delegate things to get done because, you know, it's just difficult as, as you folks are learning. And, and I learned it's difficult to, to do it all yourself. When I was first yeah. in business, the first 10 years, I was, you know, we did about $10 million worth of work a year. And, and I was literally running every job. I was going to every single job every single day. And yeah. I, I was the limit. I, I was the, th I was the big bottleneck in our company until yeah. I hired another guy uh, who ended up being our COO at Sargent. And he gave us a lot more credibility and a lot more capability. So yeah, uh, sometimes you got to find that person. Yeah, I, I like that you talked. So this is probably the most reach out that I get online <clears throat> are from owners who, okay, now we're lost, we've grown, we're at five, 10 million, but we do everything. And that transition, of what's after that is hard. It's and like you said, it's finding that right hand. Who's that next person who can give the credibility, help kind of remove some things off your plate. But I like that you pointed out that a good manager will be able to delegate and and change. And and so that was really helpful. Um, anything else that comes to your mind when you think about your managers at Sergeant Corp? Just because I do get asked this so much, how do you hire a manager and what do you look for when you're ready for that next? person where it's not you doing it all anything else that comes to your mind with that sometimes you don't you don't know what you're looking for till you see it i mean <laughs> yeah. you know, there's all these great business books and all this but sometimes you know you just don't look you don't know what you're looking for till you see it and, and in that regard we uh we hired a guy who had been with another company for about 15 years three years ago i guess and he, he came on to, to run our materials division and a little over a year ago our chief operating officer retired and we moved this guy into that role because we found what we were looking for because he showed it to us in a way. Wow. So I think you have to be careful that when you are looking for that manager, I think it's a common tendency for people to just always go back down to where they were, to where they're comfortable. So you got to find somebody yeah. that, that, will, that will rise to that challenge and then build the group underneath them and get their buy-in. That's outstanding advice, which kind of brings me to importantly to the next question of describe your leadership style. Kind of, <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> You're chuckling a little. Yeah. Um, what is your leadership style? I, I'm pretty laid back overall. I mean, I, I can get excited sometimes, but I'm pretty laid back. I, I try to I try to lay things out the way that that I think is best. But there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of collaboration that has to take place. And we're still in a way, there's three of us, you know, executives in the company, and we're still kind of finding our way, uh, how we agree on things because one of them's new and the other one's been with us three years. So um, again, I'm kind of the season one in the group, uh, but I'm trying to back away from the decision-making some. Now I've yeah. got, you know, I, I joke that I've, 
I've got a dream stack of things that of ideas that I have. And I was talking to Michael Bauman and he said, those are not dream stacks. Those are vision stacks. So stop yeah. calling dream stacks. So, um, you know, I, I try to put in some not so subtle hints when I, when I think it's necessary, but, uh, I just, I like to let people do the jobs. Yeah. So you definitely trust. It sounds like collaborative, you know, trusting. And then also one of the things you put on here in our, our questionnaire that we like to send out is emotional intelligence, which sort of fascinated me like, wow, you know, that is an important quality to have as a leader is that you understand the emotions of what people are feeling and how has that kind of served you as a leader? Well, I can't say I've mastered that. I, I do think it's important, <laughs> but uh, I, I think, you know, having some empathy for what our people in the field are going through. Um, yeah. it, it's been, I mean, just to be right up front, it's been a long time since I've been in the field and having to deal with the traveling public every day. So it's sometimes I can, I cannot have the right amount of empathy for what those folks go through day in, day out. So I, I need to think about that. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm factoring that sort of stuff in when I'm, you know, if, if I'm thinking we've got a problem on a job that needs to be addressed, I need to think about those things too, not just yeah. uh, damn it all. How come you don't have this done? You know, so, yeah. and in trying to be supportive of them and, and not just come at them with, this is, uh, this is what you need to do, but Hey, let's, let's sit back and let's, let's climb up on a hill, look down here at what we're trying to build and try to get a better feel, increase wow. our situational awareness around this whole thing and get a better feel. Mm -hmm. And when you can see the whole thing, you know, they say it's, it's almost impossible to see the whole picture when you're in it. So mm -hmm. if you can back away and see the whole picture and, and I think they just appreciate that, that you're willing to put that kind of time into it and, and give them a break, really. I mean, it gives them, it gets yeah. them out of the, out of the battle for a little bit and you can talk and, and, and go through it. So that's, I guess when I, when I talk about that, that's kind of what I think. Yeah, I think you just dropped a huge leadership principle um, for us because the reality is things do go wrong on jobs. There's human error, there's elements you weren't, that weren't predictable, um, and we all deal with that every day in construction. And you, you picture, I picture the old school meant ownership, come out, yell at them, that's the wrong way, move on. But you just dropped a huge hint on how to not just solve the problem, but never have it happen again to learn from the problem and to, to be collaborative and empathetic towards how did the, the situation affect the people who are in it and we can only see that if we go above it yeah. and, and overlook so I think that is just a huge I just was taking some notes like that's something really big that I hope our audience hears and learn from and rewinds back two or three minutes and listens to how you handle a problem on the job site, I, you know, with emotional intelligence and collaboration. I just I think that's so, phenomenal. You know, one of the most important things, learning how to fix the problem that you have is one thing, but learning how you got into the problem to begin with is more important than that. So, yeah. so trying to do, and I don't mean have a half day long meeting on this, but just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. what, what happened here to, to, to get this turned the way it is, you know, yeah. just, just face to face. I, I think that's great wisdom for all of us to, you know, owners, foremen, superintendents to really learn from 
Um, so thank you for that. So speaking of problems, let's talk a little about 2020. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, or, or the challenge that kind of came with 2020. What were the biggest obstacles that you overcame and what lessons are you bringing into 2021? So, I mean, obviously, March of, of last year, uh, our biggest challenge, I think, was the fear of the unknown. We mm-hmm. just didn't, we didn't have a clue what we were into. And, and I've, I've been an instrument pilot in the past, so I, I kind of liken it to being in the fog in your plane and all your gauges shut down. You don't know where you are and you're tapping on the gauges and you're going, just give me the altitude, give me a heading, give me something. And that's the way I felt we were in, in mid-March. What a great March. way to describe it. Well, <laughs> I'm from an aviation family and right away it's like, yes, it, yeah. that's exactly in the fog. Yeah, <laughs> and it made me like I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking I was going through my instrument test again and waiting for the instructor to pull the goggles off so I can see, you know, that didn't happen. Um, but we we felt like that fear, we knew our folks were feeling it. And and even though we were feeling it, we felt like we had to be really clear with them. Like, this is this is weird. We don't know where we are. We don't know, you know, what we're going to do. We're in this plane and we don't have the gauges working. And if things get weird, we're going to have to toss some baggage out to, just to lighten up the load here. And, and so we were really clear about that and tried to communicate that. And that's that's when we started our podcast internally. Uh, and so just to communicate where we are right now, where we think we're going to go and how we can navigate it and that we're all in it together. That was like the, the most important thing and that we are making contingency plans for whatever happens. And yeah. we I mean, we met for hours and hours and hours. Uh, three or four of us uh, in charge of the company. And, you know, like if this gets this bad, we've got to do these things. If it gets this bad, we've got to do more things. If it gets that bad, you know, and and we were talking about, you know, pay cuts. We were talking about all kinds of different things. But Mm -hmm. uh, the way it all ended up, we were trying to be very patient about it. And the way it ended up, we didn't have to put any of those things in place. We never got shut down. We were very, very fortunate that we never got shut down. And, you know, when I think about all the businesses that have struggled so hard, uh, you know, again, it's almost like I feel guilty because, because our folks stayed in it, but uh, they didn't, you know, the really thing, the great thing that, that I felt was our folks didn't have to go to work. You know, they were being paid pretty handsomely to stay home. And, uh, and I went down to one of our jobs and, and, and just got in a circle with the crew. And I said, I just want to tell you guys, I, w- I want to thank you for coming to work. And this is in Portland, Maine, which is the biggest city in Maine and, and our little epicenter for COVID. And one of the guys said, you know, I'm glad to be working her. And I, it just made me gush for the leadership that that young guy, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and he didn't know it was leadership. He was just, but that's leadership, you know, it's the coolest thing. It is. Yeah. So you were able to really probably live out all the investing you've done in people. When crisis came, what I just, what kind of clicked and resonated with me when you said that is you get, that there's a payoff to investing in your people and that can come in crisis. You see it and it's like, wow. I'm here in this company because the people are here, not the other way around. And, and, and I think they know that. 
And mm -hmm. so when it, you know, when the chips get get down, you know, they they continue to work. And and yeah, our ex I, I saw our execution uh, improve over the previous years dramatically in 2020. Wow, wow! So you really saw the challenges turn into you know, something where the team came closer together and performed even better. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to go through it all again, but nope. you know, there, <laughs> there, there were a lot of good things that, that, that yeah. happened. And just our, our internal communication improved so much over the last year in, in so many yeah. ways. And, and that's one of the things I think, one of the big elements that was missing in our company is, is I don't think I communicated well enough. So, wow. So we've, we've, we've done a lot better that way. And one of the ways I noticed is you've done that internal podcast, which I think is a great idea. It's for your staff and, and you interview some of the other staff and you have guests on there. I think that's outstanding. It's, it's a project. I, I'd never done a podcast before and we decided to do it. So Herb kind of studied on what to get for equipment and, and software and all this stuff. And we set up a room and I've got it so I can throw it in the back of my truck and take it to jobs and do a podcast on a job. So oh, I think wow. our folks like it. You know, we've got, we peaked out just under 400 employees last year and we were getting about 330 listens a week. That, that's a hell of a lot better than than people that read email or read mail. I can tell you that. Absolutely. That's a huge success, especially with the type of industry we're in knowing they're in the truck, they're in the machines, they're on site, and they're still engaging with that. What a huge success. Yeah, uh, they can you. they can listen when they want. Yeah, I think that's a great way for us to start rethinking about how we communicate with our teams. And you just gave a great suggestion. They can listen to this when they want. We don't all have to attend this meeting, you know, that's right. before, after hours, which they want to be with their families. Um, so definitely noted there. As we close the conversation on leadership, which I could literally just go on and on and asking you questions on leadership. Well, I might I be out of gas out. on it. I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. So um, really quick with the, the book that you recommended um, that you, you have really enjoyed is Atomic Habits by yes. James Clear. If you were to leave us uh, one nugget from Atomic Habits, what would that be? Oh, wow. There's an awful lot of them. Um <laughs> <laughs> So one of the concepts that he that he, he talks about uh, looking at looking at problems uh, from a different mindset. So one that I found really helpful is you know a lot of people just look okay how we're going to make this succeed, but if you if you look at what you, what's in front of you and say okay that's going to fail, and how is that going to fail? Oh and, wow. Uh, and and so then you start thinking about the different ways it's going to fail, uh, and then you can you know make make plans accordingly. So as an example, he uh, he you picture your your marriage, and you say, okay, that's going to fail. Well, we don't want it to fail, right? So what we're going to do? How would it fail? Well, there's probably two or three cardinal things that could make it fail, and so we know mm -hmm. we're going to avoid those things. Uh, or if you look at safety in the course of a day. If you drive to work and, and you're on the way to work and you say, someone will get hurt today. When you get out of the vehicle, I think it, it, it makes you consider all the different ways someone's gonna get hurt today. So, wow. and I think, I think he calls this inversion thinking. Um, but it just, for me, it became a powerful way to, to look at, at what we're doing and, and you know, how do we keep things from being a failure? 
And it's kind of the backside yeah. of the way we usually approach things. And I tend yeah. to be an upbeat and optimistic guy. Uh, but, but frankly, being upbeat and optimistic gives me my blind spots, right? So, yep. so I've, I've got to try to figure out how to unearth those. Yeah, I think that's great because a lot of entrepreneurs, I think we are kind of blindly optimistic, you know, and we do have those blind spots to, to push. You have to be. So, so you're saying this really helps you think through differently and give you the ideas ahead of the problem. Hope so. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm going to put that one on my list. So really quick, you know, you're five years away from being a hundred year old yep. company. I just think that's so exciting and fascinating. What are you working on? What's, what's the next five years? What are you thinking through? What's your priorities and your focus, you know, as you approach 100? So my, my priority really is people. My, my yeah. priority is developing people, uh, getting more people in the door. Uh, and and I'll, I'll say it again, you know, the mistake I made from 2010 to 2015, skipping the draft, I think a lot of companies did that. And I think- yeah that brought out the worst in all of us in the last three or four years when people brag that they poach people. I have project managers that go to a pre-bid and the guy asks them, hey, what will it take to get you to leave Sergeant and come to me? If if we would just continue to invest in people and continue to yeah. go to the draft, we could alleviate that. If everybody took the responsibility to bring in people to the industry, now, there's a lot of competition mm -hmm. out there for it, but if everybody took that responsibility, we wouldn't have had the problem we've had the last four or five years. So I'm yeah. going to make sure I'm going to do my part. Nobody owes me anything. I'm going to make sure yeah. I do my part. And frankly, some of our people will train and they'll go to somebody else. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But yep. um, so really for me, the next five years is is trying to trying to populate the company with enough people who have been trained and developed to the point uh, in safety and execution and and how to bring margins of safety into their personal and professional lives so that yeah. you know if there's a hiccup it doesn't it doesn't create chaos uh, right that's that's kind of where I am I think that's great and you're taking workforce development from just a conversation or a committee or an organization there's so much of that out there you're saying workforce development is an action and it's a personal responsibility. And if we all do something, we're going to be okay as an industry rather than, like you said, waiting. I just hate for the day to come back when, when we, as an industry, show the worst of ourselves again. You know, I, yeah. that really bothered me. I think that's great. So with Con Expo Con Ag, I have heard that you have a grandfather that was a super fan um, tell us really quick, how long did he attend the show? Do you have any memories of him or the show that you're the first guest to have a grandpa yeah. who attended Conexo? And that's, that's, that's very cool. He started in the thirties and at the, in those days, how? Uh, what he told me is they were in, they were in Chicago and they always drove to them. Uh, so he started in the thirties and I can't remember exactly. I think it was 2003 was the last one he went to and he passed away in 2006. So he was, I believe he was nine, either 94 or 97 when he went to the last one that he went to. And this wow. guy, this guy was, uh, he, he was uh, really in good shape as a 90 something year old man. And I can remember 
he, I mean, he couldn't wait to get up in the morning and get going. And of course, us young guys at the time, we'd, we'd go out and stay out half the night. But he didn't. <laughs> and, and he'd, you know, he'd walk and walk and walk and walk. And I would just, I'd be like, I got to stop and get a beer here somewhere. And yeah. <laughs> finally, he'd say, okay, um, Herb, I'm ready for a nap. So we'd take him to his room. And he, I remember the first time he went down for a nap. And he called me like 20 minutes later. He said, I'm ready to go now. And I said, I thought you were going to take a nap. He said, I had a 15 minute nap. I'm ready. And I was like, wow. He had me worn out. But but he he just loved people and he loved equipment and he knew uh, the best equipment was useless in in the hands of less than the best people. So he always tried to surround himself with with great people and he did. I'll tell you. Wow. Some of the guys that were there when I, you know, started working when I was 15, 16. Um, really great people. I love the correlation he brings. You can have the best equipment, but you have to have the best people. And yeah. that's been a continued theme of the conversation with you. And I think as a seasoned leader in our industry, you're really bringing it back to something simple, which is the people. And the more we invest in them, the better we are. That's all it is. I mean, talk to anybody that's been trying to get the people for the last five years. Um, yeah. And so we're we're just doubling down on that bet. We've we feel like, you know, we could buy all the equipment we want, but if we don't have the people to do it, then it's, it's, it's wasted, you know, capital. So we're doubling down on the personnel bet, on the humans. Yeah, I think it's great to see the success that 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 focus has brought you, and I think that huge moment where, amidst COVID, you have someone on a job site who's saying, "I'm here to work, and I'm proud to be here." I think we really can all have a big takeaway from that, that if we simplify, get back to the people, because as an owner, I feel like you're always thinking about the pipeline and what's next and the equipment and the tech and the materials and the cost. And you're like, the people, the people, the people. It just, I really learned a lot from this. I, I greatly appreciate you uh, being you. willing to share your nuggets of wisdom and, and continuing to bring me back to the one simple thing that can build something big and, and great in our industry, which is people. So the people can, I mean, one of the things about people is, you know, you, you want to help people reach, reach their potential, but the more you put into them, the more potential they have. So they never really reach yeah. the potential. It just keeps growing. And, and it's just, for me, it's just such a, a fun thing to watch people. Yeah. You know, we had this podcast yesterday and I got a young guy that's, I think, 19, 20 years old, you know, and, and he's just, he's just loving life. You know, he's, yeah. He didn't he didn't take on any college debt and he's uh, he's doing better than most of his teachers were when they were when he was in school and so it's good. <laughs> it's awesome to see that. So what we like to do to close out um, is a little rapid fire round. This is the fun um oh, boy. questions. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one question not on here that is, is an important one to me. So let me start with this. What was your very first job? Was it at Sergeant? My very first job was working in the shop at, at Sargent, uh, scraping gaskets off belly pans for D8s and steam cleaning parts as they came off machines to be rebuilt. Wow. What about your first car? What was your first car? 1973 Pontiac Grand Prix. There we go. And I want to throw in this. What was the first piece of equipment that you operated? So you were working in the shop. Can you remember the first piece you hopped in? I think it was probably an excavator. Yeah. yeah. 
my husband says, best machine out there. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what everybody wants to run. I, I personally, uh, I think the excavators are a great thing to do some things, but people tend to use them for everything and they're not the best thing for a lot of things. I, mm -hmm. I kind of like, like watching a guy with a, with a dozer that can really make it work. Yeah. Yeah. A good blade master. Now, Herb, here's a good one. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Hmm. I'd probably be writing or I'd be a chef. I don't know. One of those. I love to cook. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Nobody likes um, to eat what I cook, but I love to cook. Hey, I will take a try if it's got bacon in it. <laughs> um, now, we all have to go to the gas station as part of the construction life we live. What is your go-to gas station food? And this answer always tells me a lot about about who I'm going to be. Slim Jims. <laughs> hey, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, what's, what song gets you pumped in the morning? Well, I don't listen to music a lot in the morning, but there are a couple songs that, that I like a lot that, can, that really move me. Uh, one is I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. And then another oh, one's yeah. from when I was a kid, uh, Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits. I love that, Got love it. that song. I can only imagine it's a good tearjerker, you know, yeah, very inspiring song. Yeah. yeah. Who is one person that you wish you could have dinner with? That's easy. Jesus. And I think that's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Second would be Mark Twain. Really? Yeah. Two great answers. Two great answers. What is your dream piece of equipment? Well, I just told you I'm, I'm a sucker for a well-balanced bulldozer. The dozer. Yeah. And what do you predict will be the biggest disruptor for your business in the next five years? I have a feeling I know what your answer is. So <laughs> the economy is going to be the potentially biggest disruptor, but depending on how that goes, labor will be, I think. Yeah. So the, yeah. People, the, the people that are in the right position with labor, uh, I think, will be, will be better. Uh, this slower time, I think we're going to have. Uh, over the next whatever it is, two to three years in some regions. It's going to give us a chance to really uh, take the pressure off our people some because we were all kind of running around with our hair on fire for two or three years, and we're taking the pressure off at some, and we're giving them a chance to learn a little bit better Yeah, under, under, yeah. under less stress. And, and do you see, um, are you looking for kind of the opportunity despite the economic downturn? I know a lot of people are talking about what is this economy going to look like? And I've started to try to ask our team, what opportunities lie within this economy? You know? Yeah, it's, it's, there's so, there's so many um, potentially good opportunities, but, yeah. but understanding what the leverage points are that kick them into play mm -hmm is yeah. is really the key and and being ready to uh i guess to me looking at what the what's the worst case scenario what's the most yeah. likely scenario and what's the best case scenario and having contingency plans in place for for any of those three uh, okay. that's that's one of the things we're trying to work on now is is understanding the worst case best case and the likeliest yeah yeah so i think this was power packed of so much wisdom and knowledge. What, what are ways our listeners um, can keep up with you and Sergeant Corp? Are you LinkedIn, Instagram? Yeah. How, how can we stay connected? I'm, I'm pretty quiet. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a fair amount. I yeah. usually post once a week or so. 
So okay. they can follow Sergeant on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, and LinkedIn. That's really about awesome. it. I mean, awesome. Unless unless I rope you in for another uh, episode because this was very very insightful, um, yeah. even just for me as a business owner. Um, and again, just driving home, thinking less about the product and the elements and the product development and the people, or, and thinking more about people. Um, that well, I really appreciate you helping us reframe our thought process, you know? Well, this, this has been a while for me to get to this place, you know, and, and uh, I've been in business now for about 30 years. And, and when it, it may sound like I've got it all figured out, but I didn't, I was 50 before I got any succession things going on. So, yeah. but I, I would say, don't wait till you're 50, you know, yeah. things taken care of much earlier. Think about that sooner. Well, thank you again for sharing your time with us. I know you're very busy with a large company, just about 400 employees. Um, We couldn't value your time more and greatly appreciate the wisdom you shared with us today. Thank you. Hey, can I give one person a shout out? Hey, yes, absolutely. And you may have heard of this guy. His name's Catman Sean. Yes. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. And we we get together about, try to get together every month for six weeks or so. And uh He's a he's a lover of construction, lover of cat, and yeah. lover of everything construction. So, for the oh. listeners who might not be familiar with him, I'm very familiar with him. Um, what is his handle on Instagram? It's is it Catman Sean? Yeah, I think it's Catman Sean S H A W N. He's changed it a couple times, so I'm not sure yeah. because I'm not on Instagram anymore. There was too much there. Okay, to... I'll make sure to put it on. We'll put it on the transcript so that okay. you know people can follow him and. And I'm sure he appreciates the personal shout out. And I'm giving him a second personal shout out. He is definitely one to follow and learn from. And you also brought up Michael Bowman. I think what a phenomenal human being. I I really enjoyed talking to him. Yes. He's a a great guy. I love what he's doing with his consulting business. So I think he gave some great personal shout outs and just some personal feedback for us to walk away and listen. So thank you again, Herb. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Miss. All right. Well, have a wonderful day. You too. And that's going to wrap up this edition of ConExpo ConAg Radio. If you like the show and think other people should listen too, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We'll be back next time with another great guest. Until that time, be sure to visit ConExpoConAg.com forward slash connect for even more ways to connect with the industry.